Please be advised that I, Ruby Palmer, am not a professional in any field that matters when it comes to what I discuss. Always be skeptical and look into things on your own. I never just believe something I hear on a podcast, and you shouldn't either. Also, I swear, not all the time, but when I get excited or passionate, I do tend to cuss. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you for listening to Living Through Extinction. I'm Ruby Palmer, and this is episode 18. Hello everyone. I'd like to start this episode by sending you to another podcast. I'd appreciate it if you finish this one first, but I have to make this recommendation. This is regarding a rant I had a couple of episodes back about some lies that were spouted by Ben Shapiro in reference to some of the released footage of black people being murdered by police officers. I didn't actually do any commentary on the actual videos, but I've since come across someone who did. So if you're interested in detailed commentaries on each of the videos Ben Shapiro told lies about, go to episode 468 of Dogma Debate. David Smalley devoted an entire episode to this. Still watch along for yourself or watch the videos before or after the commentaries. Even the podcaster who did this show would tell you not to take his word for it and to look with your own eyes. He's a skeptic, so he wants to be doubted and verified. Again, those commentaries were done by David Smalley on episode 468 of Dogma Debate. He goes into details about each claim, something I didn't do at all. So go check it out. Oh, and be skeptical, damn it. Speaking of skepticism, science-based medicine is run by one of my favorite skeptics, Steve Novella. Scott Gavura has an article on the science-based medicine site from late May called An Incomplete List of COVID-19 Quackery. The snake oil has been pushed hard this year, folks, from hydrochloroquine killing that poor man because the president said it could help, to collodial silver making the gullible feel like they are invincible to the virus. They are not. They are going out and catching and spreading it. Anyway, if the latest in quackery interests you, this is a great read. I thought I was on top of things in the world of pseudoscience, but there were things in this article I had never heard of. Please, if you see or hear something health-related on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or coming out of Donald Trump's mouth, please talk to your own personal physician before trying any of it. Be skeptical, damn it. In wildlife news, this year's monsoon rains in India have put almost 85% of the Kaziranga Park underwater. Probably saying that wrong. Probably definitely saying that wrong. More than 100 wild animals were killed in the incident, the most tragic being at least eight rare one-horned rhinos. It's always sad when people and animals are displaced, injured, or killed but especially so when some of them are animals facing extinction, as the one-horned rhinos are. Also lost were many deer, buffalo, and porcupines, which either drowned or were hit by vehicles racing away from the floodwaters. And while this is a wildlife segment, I would be remiss not to mention the loss of human life as well. The monsoon has gone through India, Bangladesh, and Nepal, displacing 9.5 million people and killing more than 550. 
both wildlife and human life have been hit very hard in that area of the world this year. I've been attracted to the thought of geology and archaeology since childhood. The thought of laying eyes on something that nobody has seen for thousands of years or something that human eyes have never laid eyes on has always blown my mind a little. So I do want to add an archaeology geology segment to the show. And this next story probably would have been great for that, except once I really looked into it, at its core, it's actually an environmental story about the heating of the planet. Before I get into the discovery, which is awesome, I have to acknowledge that without global warming, this discovery never would have happened. As cool as it is, we would probably have been better off without it. A historic heat wave hit Siberia last month. The temperatures were a whopping 10 degrees Celsius above average. Increases in temperatures have been trending for years in this location and are resulting in prehistoric creatures emerging from the thawing permafrost, which is super interesting, but overall not really a good thing. I still can't help but be excited by it. So setting aside for a moment the fact that this incident is further proof of global warming, here is the exciting part. Y'all, they have mammoth tissue. Well preserved, soft tissue. One would expect this discovery to have been made by an archaeologist or a glaciologist, which is a field of geology, but it was not. The skeleton of what is presumed to be a young woolly mammoth was found by reindeer herders in northern Siberia. Initial findings say the entire skeleton was there and ligaments were attached. It's at least 10,000 years old. The Siberian Times has published a photograph which can be seen online. I'll post a link on the social medias today. It's a fucking mammoth foot. Shit, I guess that F-bomb was uncalled for, but it's a fucking mammoth foot. Sorry, I just, I just find that so amazing. Go look at the actual photo of an actual mammoth foot. Now back to stinking reality. This and other recent discoveries were made available to us by global warming. And while the 42,000-year-old fool with no signs of damage, the 32,000-year-old wolfhead and other discoveries are amazing, interesting, intriguing, and so much fun to learn about. There are unfortunately humans using the extreme thaws for illicit purposes. Of course, a bone hunting industry has emerged. Hunters and prospectors are digging and diving for ancient ivory loosened from the permafrost in this market which I had never heard of before, is apparently worth an estimated $50 million a year. It is beyond me that people other than museums and governments would pay for something like ivory in this day and age. What actual purpose can you get from ivory that can't be accomplished with something else today? If you know one, please inform me because I can't think of a thing. I really believe people put value on things for all the wrong reasons. Sometimes it feels like we are a race of dumbasses. Today's research topic is about packaging. Bubble wrap, styrofoam for food and shipping, paper for food and shipping, boxes, packing tape, shipping labels, chips and other snack items packaged in bags and boxes only half full. Direct and indirect impacts of packaging on the environment include soil degradation, water pollution, and the fact that it often uses limited resources and creates waste. Starting with the least damaging of the bunch, bubble wrap. 
Bubble wrap is one of the better options for safely packaging items because it is mostly air, so not only is it lighter than other packaging materials, but less physical material is required to fill a space. Even better, there are bubble wraps now available that are made from recycled material, and most bubble wrap today is recyclable. Unfortunately, it's the shipper and not the end user who can tell if the bubble wrap is recyclable or not. I feel like this is a place where improvement can be made. If shippers who purchase recyclable bubble wrap were to note it on their packages, more people would recycle them. But overall, bubble wrap is not a major concern when it comes to the environment. It's actually one of the best options out there for protective packaging. Paper-based packaging is at least recyclable, but there is so much of it. And as with all recyclables, we have to depend on people to properly recycle it. Paper is used for boxes, shipping labels, packaging, and even some forms of packing tape, so an immense amount of paper products are used in shipping. In the U.S. alone, 165 billion packages are shipped each year, which apparently equates to more than 1 billion trees worth of paper. Paper is also used to make up the boxes for many of our food and snack products, which hopefully most of us are putting in the recycle bin when emptied. Packing tape is used on pretty much all boxes that are shipped. If a packing tape is made from paper or cellulose, it can be recycled along with the box it came on. If the tape is made of plastic, it is recommended it be removed before the box is put in recycling. This is one of those cases again though where the person receiving the box is not necessarily going to know what kind of tape the sender used. If you are the purchaser of the tape, however, Try and get paper and cellulose-based ones, and maybe try to have some sort of note on your packaging that all components are recyclable so the end receivers know. There are issues with many paper-based container products that cannot be recycled due to wax linings or other special requirements. And then there's the fact that many companies use too much packaging. If the box or bag is half full, why is it not half the size? I'm sure there are issues and products used that I have not even thought of. If you think of one, let me know at livingthroughextinction at gmail.com. But before you do that, I have saved the worst for last. From what I can tell, the absolute worst problem with shipping delivery and packaging products and food is styrofoam. Styrofoam was once very common packaging for hot beverage and takeout food products. I believe most places use paper-based hot beverage cups now and many restaurants have made the switch to paper-based containers for takeout. This is good because there are both health and environmental issues with the use of styrofoam in food. It is made of puffed number six plastic and has styrenes and benzene, both being classified as hazardous substances. Contamination to food does happen, but especially so if heated. Today, most styrofoam is found in packaging for large delicate electronics where a tight fit is required for each component to ensure it can survive travel, storage, and shelving. Environmentally, styrofoam makes up a lot of litter, and it is not safe to just have in landfills as the styrene leaches into the land and water. It breaks down into smaller and smaller pieces, and it's believed that microscopic styrenes and other harmful chemicals will linger in the soil and water for centuries. From what I can tell, it's just about as much, if not equal to, the problem with microfibers in the oceans. Jason and I discussed the severe issues with microfiber pollution on episode 9 about clothing and textiles. Besides the trash, 
Its production is also a major polluter. The styrofoam industry ranks as the fifth largest creator of toxic waste in the U.S. Some places do have programs for recycling styrofoam, so before you toss the packaging from your next TV or video game system, call your city's recycling program to learn more. Many cities now have a 311 system that should be able to answer your questions or provide you with the number of someone who can. If your location does not offer styrofoam recycling, there are all sorts of things it can be used for. Google things to do with styrofoam to find out if you may have a use for it. Anything to keep it from the landfills. So what are the solutions for this packaging problem we have? Deposit refund systems have been shown to work in other places. Heck, some places even have machines you can approach and put your drink container in for an instant refund. Anything to encourage people not to throw it away or throw it on the ground. Then there's awareness and consumer demand. As consumers, we have to demand that the places we spend our money at are using responsible packaging practices. Send as much as will safely fit in a box. Wait for all items to be in and send all at once. Stop things like Amazon Prime, which often causes several separate trips to be made from a local airport to the same location. And if you are the purchaser of the packaging products, be it for yourself or for a company, then know that there are options. There is a recyclable bubble wrap and recyclable tape and even biodegradable packing peanuts that can be used in place of old-fashioned styrofoam ones. We've come a long way with options in regards to shipping and packaging. Now to get everyone using these better options is the challenge. I figure it starts with awareness, which is why I wanted to do this topic. If people are not aware of the better options, they will never use them. Hopefully I made someone out there think twice before ordering plastic-based bubble wrap or styrofoam food containers. My Something to Smile About segment today isn't actually a happy story or a story about human endeavors, but it did make me laugh. My attention was caught by a recent story simply titled, Seagulls on Acid. I neglected to bookmark it, and when I went to search for it again, it did come up, but so did a bunch of stuff from 2016 and 2018 with headlines such as, UK under attack from seagulls tripping balls on acid, and... Is Russia to blame for seagulls getting high on acid? So, this is obviously nothing new. Why have I never heard of it? Flying Ant Day happens every year in Europe. It's the day when males and new queens leave the nest to mate, and many colonies will do so on the same day when ideal conditions are met. And the seagulls appear to love this day. Wherever the ants are, that's where the seagulls will go. And then they start acting even more erratic than your average seagull, apparently even flying into buildings at unusually high rates. It turns out these flying ants they are eating contain something called formic acid, which is also found in carpenter ants, stinging nettles, and the bites of several insects. The seagulls, gobbling up all the ants they can, eat enough of them to end up quite impaired. I'm sorry, but I can't help but picture two seagulls with their wings around each other's shoulders as they stagger side to side walking up the beach. And that made me laugh. Maybe it'll make you laugh too. Or maybe you'll berate me for laughing at impaired seagulls. Whatever. So that wraps things up for episode 18. Thank you so much for listening, and may your health and sanity be replenished daily in these mad times. Thank you to Jason Martin for composing the intro-outro of the show, and thank you to Paul Palmer and Kathy Rayner for their musical contributions. Full references and credit notes will be in the show notes. Please join me in two weeks for episode 19 of Living Through Extinction.
You will find the social media sites under Living Through Extinction on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Pinterest, and under LTE Pod on Twitter because Twitter is annoying. Input is appreciated, and as previously stated, I claim no definitive knowledge, so if you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or corrections, please email livingthroughextinction at gmail.com. situation here in Hawaii earlier this evening, the uh, civil defense calling for an evacuation of all low-lying areas because of a tsunami threat. The sky turns black as giant tornadoes touch down from Nebraska to Texas, apocalyptic scenes as twisters tear through the southern plains.